Hi, I'm Julie. I'm Laura. We're longtime friends who know a good year at Real Talk can solve almost anything. And we're transferring our skills and experiences to our new coaching practice. Whether you're making a big decision, exploring a new path, planning a project, or you just want to learn how coaching might help you, join us for our conversations on Coaching Through It. We're excited to have Jennifer Askey join us for this episode of Coaching Through It. Jennifer Askey works with academic leaders and leaders-to-be in a down-to-earth and engaging approach that utilizes emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and mindfulness to help her clients navigate the internal and external obstacles of their professional worlds. Jennifer brings over 20 years of working in complex academic organizations as both a faculty member and administrator to her coaching work, where she focuses on career planning and transition, as well as team effectiveness. She utilizes assessments such as DISC, EQI 2.0, Belbum Team Roles, and 360s to help her clients and their organizations gain new insights and develop forward-looking plans for change. She's an engaging, enthusiastic public speaker and workshop facilitator. Jennifer leads workshops on emotional intelligence and team effectiveness in Alberta and virtually. Jennifer holds a PhD in German literature, is a certified professional co-active coach with CTI, and a professional certified coach through ICF. She's pursuing certification with positive intelligence and the International Mindfulness Teachers Association. She's a dog person, a Unitarian, an ENFP, and she has a tattoo on her left arm that says feminist. Well, welcome to the Coaching Through It pod. Jennifer, we're so excited to have you join us. I am really, really happy to be here, you guys. Thank you so much, Laura and Julie, for having me. Yeah. Jennifer, I just want to start because you're sort of celebrating a milestone today. Would you share that with us? I will. Today is, um, we're recording this on September 1st, and it is my first day as a full-time self-employed coach. I let my last contract at a university expire, and I'm off on my own. It's really exciting, actually. I'm super, I tried this once before, kind of briefly, and as a very new coach and had no clue what I was doing. And I'm 100 times more prepared this time around and super excited. So I'm really happy. Good. I was going to say, how did you know you're ready to launch this time around? If you look at my profile on LinkedIn, for example, and Laura has commented on this, there are a lot of letters after my name. There are a lot of certifications and trainings listed, which I think is sort of an occupational hazard of having gotten a PhD, right? Like there's always another book to read. There's always another degree or certificate to get. And while I have some quibbles with myself around that, plan, (laughs) what it has done over the past few years is give me enough tools and contexts in which to use those tools that um, I'm really clear on why I want to be a coach and who I want to work with. And and really more importantly, like what I do for people. Um, I think some, when I first started out as a coach, I had pretty good coaching skills, but I didn't have, I didn't have a really good way to package it Mm. even in my own mind. I was like, I, let's come transform together. And that was a little fuzzy. And so I was a little fuzzy on sort of transactional versus transformational coaching and how I was going to do all of that. And um, we moved to Edmonton three years ago. I took a job in leadership development at the university. And it really made me, um, not that anybody was listening, but it really made me articulate, like, what is my perspective on becoming an academic leader, for example, and how might I use coaching to do those things? And as I kept kind of creating things at the university that um, faculty loved and administration was confused about, I got really clear on what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. Um, 
so yeah, having full-time employment for a while helped me sort of articulate that full-time employment that did take advantage of me being a coach. And then, you know, at some point you just wake up and say, I actually don't need any more certifications or letters or trainings. I, I, I know what I know. I can just put this together and put it out there for the world and say, hey, come coach. It's a good thing. It'll help. Jennifer, we've talked a lot with folks and even the exploration we've done ourselves around our niche in, in terms of who we might want to coach. It almost sounds, though, that your journey was more about what the outcome of your coaching would be and perhaps less about the who. Is that accurate? A little bit. So my story is I gave up tenure to move to Canada 10 years ago, and that did not feel traumatic at the time. I was actually pretty excited about it. And then sort of reality sank in and the jobs that I got in academia um, as, you know, I I basically have had a series of what I call unicorn jobs, Mm -hmm. special assistant to the dean for X, (laughs) Um, advisor to the vice provost for or deputy provost for Y, right? Like those sorts of things that have no authority and no trajectory but they're like, ooh, former faculty member who has other skills. Let's see what she can create. And I found those things really frustrating. But while I was trying to sort of figure out how I was going to build a career in Canada, I did various things. And I wound up kind of unhappy in each of them. And in my first, like, I will never adjunct. I will never um, take a temporary professor contract ever again screw you all, I'm going home. Like that moment um, when I was like, oh, that's it. That's the end of my academic career. I had people reaching out to me saying, here's my therapist's number. I like, I think I was the walking wounded for a while. And an acquaintance of mine said, you need me. I'm a coach. I said, what? And I wasn't sure I wanted to work with somebody I knew. So I sought out a different coach and worked with her for a while on, on sort of that identifying transferable skills, identifying places where I might want to take those professionally. And that was valuable, but I didn't feel like that coach got me at all. I didn't feel like she listened to what I said. And so then I hired my acquaintance and she got me. But both of these coaches said to me at some point in the, you know, let's do some assessments and talk about who you are in the world and what skills you want to employ both of them at some point said, you should really look into being a coach. Like it really overlaps with you as a person. And so when I heard it the second time, I was like, okay, fine. (laughs) Okay, universe, I'll do that. (laughs) And I um, dove in head first. I went to the Coach Training Institute um, for my training. And the very first weekend, and I was all up in my stuff, right? Like, am I still a professor? What does it mean? Like, um, I was all up in my stuff. And in the first weekend course, this was back, of course, when we did things face-to-face, um, I, I kind of broke open and because somebody was asking me about my values and like what I cared about and who I was in, in sort of my essence was, was the question to be explored. And all I could think of was my people need this. And so figuring, so this is a really long preamble to the answer to your question, Julie, which is I I knew from literally day one that I wanted to work with people in academia, but they didn't know that. (laughs) 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 And so 
figuring out like what, what is the problem that coaching for an academic, whether you're an administrator and like run the registrar's office or you're a researcher and teacher in the classroom, figuring out what, what problem coaching might be solving, articulating it in language that is recognizable and that doesn't feel horrible. I think it's really easy to feel horrible about academia. And I don't really want to double down on that. Um, I could. It's a pretty easy path to follow. But I think that regardless of where um, where you are on that career journey, like you can make a good life for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? You're smart people. You can figure it out. Let's talk about how to flourish at work. So that that vision of like how to talk to people about how to flourish at work, especially if they're in academia, which seems pretty broken mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, um, that crystallized pretty early on. But I needed I needed some time to sort of figure out how to communicate what I was sensing in a way that didn't feel like I was shaming people or assuming things about them or their happiness or lack thereof. Um, and that I recognize like the real pressures. Like maybe you think maybe coaching is a way to help you get the book written. That's going to get you tenure or get you a promotion. Yes. And there are other things going on there. So yeah, the process is really important, but it's always been very clear to me that the, the niche, the people are, are academics because nobody teaches, nobody ever in grad school is going to ask you these kinds of questions. And then you, you are in a workplace where people who are leaders and managers in the faculty side of things um, have likely never been taught how to lead or manage human beings. And so you're in a really complex and challenging workforce that maybe brings more challenges with it than the average workforce. It's funny that you bring up a few things that actually resonate with both of us because we know this. Julie's interview was uh, with Katie Linder earlier in the season talked about what? Transferable skills. And me is figuring out where you work and thrive. So like you're speaking our language. You must obviously be a PCC level coach, uh, which we should (laughs) say. Yeah. PCC level coach. Yes. 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 Tell our coaches, uh, how many hours is that for PCC that you've earned to get PCC to that level? PCC is a minimum of 500 hours of coaching, and it's 100 and some odd hours of training. So for ACC, it's 60-something, and it's double that for PCC, which you know is a reason why I have all of those certifications and whatnot listed on LinkedIn, because a lot of those come with CCEUs. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go up to PCC, you commit to further professional development. Um, and I've used I've used assessments for a lot of that. And because like who doesn't like a new to- a new toy to play with? I love that. Yeah, and I asked you to bring that up because uh, you offer a, a certain program that are, we've talked about being in program, and you were part of the Coaching Training Institute. Coactive is what some people say. Exactly. Coactive.com. That's right. And then Julie and I have done a different one we've talked about, but you offer a unique offering as a PCC level coach because you are also a mentor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that is that for me is the most exciting thing about being a PCC. I'm not sure that a lot of my one-on-one clients would like put that on their list of like, oh, I got to make sure they're PCC when I'm looking for a coach. I know that I'm a better coach now than I was five years ago, but 
But what being a PCC allows me to do is in the ICF framework, I can do one-on-one and group mentoring for people who are looking to um, get their certification through ICF. And so I've done, I've, so this year I've worked with three people one-on-one to do um, mentor coaching and prepare for the coach knowledge assessment, not in like a really focused way because the coach knowledge assessment, like most of the things that will help you pass that are available on the ICF website, Um, but to really sort of sharpen the saw, right? To debrief coaching, to talk about coaching and to do some mentorship around what does it mean to build a business as a coach. So I've done some one-on-one mentoring and starting in October with another coach who's based in the same city as I am, we're doing a group mentor coaching program that does the 10 hours, um, although it's going to be 11, um, 11 hours of mentor coaching that allows you to get um, recertified or certified as ACC or PCC if you've done the accredited coach-specific training hours pathway or the portfolio pathway, as opposed to the um, accredited coach training program pathway, which I think of as sort of the soup to nuts um, offering, which is, I think, what Katie offers and what I went through myself. But like right now, some of my, I think two of the people who are enrolled in our program that starts um, in two weeks in mid-September, two of them are recertifying as ACC. So they've been ACC for three years and they haven't quite hit 500 hours of documented coaching, or maybe they haven't, they just haven't done the documentation, <laughs> which I wonder if that's a hurdle. Um, so maybe like they have a full-time job and coaching is just part of what they do, or they have a side of business around that. So a couple people are in that boat. And then a couple people have um, signed up with Shirzad Shamin's grant for coaches and done um, positive intelligence coach training which is 73 hours of coach training, but doesn't have mentor coaching included. So adding mentor coaching is is a way to create that portfolio of training for somebody who wants to apply for their ICF certification. I love that. And I, and I want to call attention to our listeners. Like you don't have to follow a full on coach training program pathway soup to nuts. Like we did, you can go portfolio, or if you're really into something like PQ or something else that doesn't offer anything that's accredited by ICF. I like that there's different pathways and portfolios. Uh, We had someone actually in the first cohort of our training. Our program wasn't accredited yet. Uh, We are ACTP accredited now, but we weren't at the time and she wanted to apply ahead. So she did the portfolio path, which would mean seeking out a mentor uh, coach training program, like you submitting a portfolio, a recording of your coaching and all that they listen to and evaluate. It takes them a few weeks. So I just want to toss that in there just as an FYI, if you are thinking about coaching, there are alternate routes to getting to your credentials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in fact, now that you mentioned that, I think one of the people who's enrolled in our group thing that starts in a couple of weeks, PQ, she's doing the PQ program, the positive intelligence program, and that's going to put her over the 63. But I think that she has enough now that she could do the portfolio pathway because She has, I think, 18 or more hours doing some sort of trauma-informed leadership coaching. She has uh, the emotional intelligence um, EITC or EQI 2.0 assessment training, and that's another 20-some-odd, right? So she's taken enough things that offer CCEUs that she can put those together, get to the 63 hours, 
And then the role of the mentor coach really is like, okay, we're going to pull that all together around these eight ICF competencies um, so that we, we assume that you, you have the skills and you know it, but can you articulate it in that way? And do you recognize like what, what is, you know, making agreements and what is coaching presence and what is, right? So that they can speak the language of coaching if they've assembled the hours through um, various offerings that they've cobbled together. So there are lots of ways to do that. Well, the other way to bring up is, is WBECS, which around here people tend to talk uh, to um, acronymize as WebEx. And it's the World Something Executive Coaching Summit. And it's a yearly month-long thing in August. And if you, and they have a, a pre-summit that lasts a couple weeks where you can get several CCEUs. And if you pay for the full summit, you can get a whole scad of CCEUs. So it's master classes, it's coach training, it's um, it's coaching circles and discussion and with people who you know have written books and whose names you might recognize. Jennifer, you've obviously touched lots of areas of coaching. Um, and I know one of your other programs you were telling us about is is kind of a collaboration with another coach. He tells a little bit about how that came to be and the benefits I think of working with other coaches. She's asking yeah, in case in case I ask her to do something later, she wants to know is it worth it? Is what <laughs> is what Julie's asking. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Is it worth it to collaborate? And that's actually a great question because there are lots of answers to it. When so about a year ago this summer was when I sat up and said, when this contract expires, I'm not renewing it. And so I had a year to prepare myself and to sort of ramp up business so that I could be full-time self-employed starting today. Um, And one of the ways I did that was I networked like a crazy person. And I said yes to absolutely everything that came my way. With you want to have coffee? Talk about coaching? You bet. You want to talk about this? You want to talk about that? Sure. Right? Like, I've just said yes to every networking opportunity, every group call, every everything that has come my way. And a few of those are bearing fruit. And and so the mentor coaching collaboration is one of those things. This is somebody I know through the local ICF chapter. We get along socially super well. When I joined the Positive Intelligence Program in Cohort 2, so pretty early on in the pandemic, um, and I needed other people to fill a group with me. She's one of the people I pulled in. And at some point, she said, we should mentor coach together. That would be great. And I'm like, absolutely, let's do that. And so we've now built something. And then in another group experience, um, also, also coincidentally connected to Positive Intelligence, sort of a business development pod. Um, I met one of my podmates is a career coach based in Denver. Her zone of genius is working with people who want out of this job and into the next job. And I work with academics. And in 2021, if you're not living under a rock, you are aware of the fact that a lot of the people I work with are all of a sudden in her market. (laughs) Get me out of here. My students are not wearing masks. I just read the third story of like somebody quitting two weeks into the semester because of COVID risk today. Like it's nuts. Um, And so we thought like, what could we do that would sort of combine 
you know, wonder twin powers activate form of one plus one equals something greater than two. And we've gone through a couple different iterations of what that might look like. And what we've landed on right now is to use the positive intelligence program, which in and of itself is fabulous. And instead, the way the positive intelligence program works, and this is commercially available for a sum of money, but if you're a PQ coach, um, you can fold it into what you do, or you can offer it to your clients for a different sum of money. It's, it's a seven-week program, and it's built around small groups who keep each other accountable because there's daily work involved. And we took that sort of small-scale accountability, half-an-hour check-ins weekly, and made it bigger. So it's going to be a group. We're going to have a, a longer weekly meeting where we're not only going to do check-ins on your progress in this particular program, but we're going to make explicit links to what's the pivot you're looking to make. Like, is, is it a career pivot? Is it an attitude pivot? Is it a self-concept pivot? What's the shift you're looking for? And so we're really going to bring a group of people together where they're all looking for some kind of a change that will accompany us through the positive intelligence program. And then every participant gets one-on-one -on -one coaching with us for sessions um, so that we can really like, okay, you've learned a few things. You've maybe had a few insights and ahas. How do we take those insights and really make them into action items, right? Because you can have insights all day long, <laughs> but if you don't do anything with them, then you're, you're kind of leaving money on the table. So um, that's what we're doing in October and super excited about it and looking forward to doing that again and again and again and again and again. So if um, if when the podcast airs, that deadline has come and gone, that's fine because we'll do it again. So collaboration is, I enjoy it. I'm an extrovert. I like to think out loud. I like the external accountability. All of those things are really good for me. We can have another conversation about how collaboration fits into business building. Uh, before we get to that, because I do want to know, it's interesting that you do a prep. So my partner has done this PQ for his coach. Like there, he's like, join this seven weeks thing, which you've just explained meets with his little pod they're finished now, but met with the pods weekly had work and had homework and readings. And then that's like a primer for your one-to-one -one coaching. Really? That's the goal. Mm -hmm. What is the difference when you prime your coachee, your client before coming in coals? Because this is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, even if I have one-on-one -on -one clients who aren't going to do the PQ program, I frequently have them do that free assessment about their saboteurs because one of the benefits of going through the program is having shared language with your coach. And my husband recently did the PQ program. So I did it in like April of last year and he just finished it up a couple of weeks ago. Obviously there was some encouragement in the intervening 14 months. And finally he's like, okay, I'll do it. And it's been great because now like we have a shorthand <laughs> and as a coach coachee, you then have a shorthand like, wow, I, I hear the problem you're talking about is who's telling that story, right? Is that your, is that your inner critic telling that story? Is that your judge or is that your best self telling that story or knowing, for example, because one of the, one of the great things about coaching is accountability, right? And if as coach and coachee, if I'm the coach and I know 
that one of the ways you are most likely to get in your own way is through, for example, your pleaser tendency, your pleaser saboteur in the PQ framework. If I know that, and I know it pretty early on, then I'm on the lookout for that. And maybe we can, I mean, maybe I would discover that pretty early on anyway. If you're already working on it, you're aware of it, I'm aware of it, I can point it out and we can get we can get to the bottom line of that a lot quicker than discovering it through a series of conversations that might take a while. So it, um, it offers a shortcut, it offers shared language, and because it really does, like it's how do you get in your own damn way, um, it's applicable to whatever we're talking about in coaching this week and whatever we'll be talking about in coaching in six months, because you're just going to get in your own way the same way over and over again. I really like that. I think um, I recently in my day job have started doing some executive coaching and it we have an assessment, uh, but they don't do it right away because we start working with them immediately as they arrive into the company, right? And then because our data has shown us that that's what's effective for our landscape. But, you know, they can't really do this assessment because it's based off internal terminology on day one. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it is very interesting the change between that first session and that second session. One, because folks might be new to coaching, but also grounding them in something that makes coaching feel very real all of a sudden, right? Where in that first session, we talk a lot and they're like, I don't really know. Like, sure, this sounds useful, but like, uh, what would we use it for? You know, like what's going on? And then mm-hmm. the assessment seems to just be like, oh, this is our language. This is our framework. Yep, here are my goals, all related to these things now, right? It just, it does become very clear, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's super, it is super useful that way. And when I have clients who aren't going to do the PQ program, but they take that assessment, they're like, oh, wow, I totally do that. I'm like, okay, great. Now we know what to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> are there free PQ assessments? Because I looked this up. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to positiveintelligence.com, the menu across the top of the page, one of the links is saboteurs. And that takes you to a free assessment. And that free assessment is sort of the spine, your spine for the PQ program. So if you were to purchase the PQ program commercially through that website or work with a coach who offers it, um, you would you download an app with the same email that you took the assessment with. And so your results get sort of imported into the app. So as you go through the learning portion of the PQ program, when you get to saboteur awareness, it's not just awareness of any saboteur. It's, okay, let's practice noticing your saboteurs. So if you scored really high in hyperachiever because you're a former academic, say, um, you will have a whole week to practice noticing and maybe interrupting your hyperachiever tendencies. Whereas like, if you're an engineer and your saboteur is hyper-rational, we're like, I don't want emotions. I just want data, right? You have a whole week of practicing, recognizing that in action. So that assessment is tied into the program. The other thing that they have um, on the PQ website in that top menu, I think it says PQ score. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting one. It's, it's one number and it's basically, are you languishing or flourishing? Like, are you holding on by your fingernails or are you doing great? And that's an interesting snapshot. That's great. Julie and I will have maybe a future episode where we talk about all the assessments because we've sort of hinted at this before and then we'll take it and she can call me a controller. We'll just call ourselves by our saboteurs. uh, And I will call you 
hyper vigilant or pleaser. I don't know. You may also oh, call a pleaser for sure. We don't hy- need to get into hyper that right rational. Now. No one's right. a victim here. But yeah, this is good. I, this is helpful. This is now great. in the PQ program, I would tell you, you are not a pleaser. You no. have pleaser tendencies. Your saboteur has a very loud pleaser voice, but you are not identical with your saboteur, your inner saboteur. Right. I mean, I feel duty bound to tell you that you You're are such a coach here. We call yeah, it as it is. Yeah. We call it as it is this podcast, Julie, and I label it as it's. <laughs> you mentioned starting up and then starting up again. What were your barriers to start your practice that people need to know about as a coach? I'm going to be really honest here. And I don't know, like, I sort of feel like maybe my original mentor coach might like, like, is she behind me? I'm looking over my shoulder. And is she going to say tisk, tisk, tisk? You shouldn't say that. Um, but, you know, in the, in the interest of learning, I'll be honest, I adored my coach training. Like, it changed me as a person on a fundamental level. What it did not do was offer a lot of business building tips. And now that I am doing mentor coaching in part for people who've also gone through that program, I'm noticing patterns and I was just sort of showing up to my calls with people kind of ready to coach, which gave my clients maybe more of the burden for the agenda and the progress than was fair to them. And, and I know the client owns the agenda. And I create the container, right? That's a fact in coaching and that's great. But the shape of my container and how rigid or how flexible it was or is and why I created that container and what I wanted to be able to tell potential and actual clients about what that container looks like. I was pretty fuzzy on that. I was like, you bring me a thing, we'll coach about it. But I, I think what has helped me in this second go around is, and you know, I don't have like a 12-step process where we have to meet 12 times and each session has an agenda that I've preset. And there are some coach training programs that, that give you that a company. And I don't know where it's based. It's Canadian headquarters or in Calgary. I don't know where it's U.S. headquarters are, maybe Seattle. The Neuro Leadership Institute. They do some really cool stuff. Um, I like their brain-based coaching model. But they have sort of this 12-session coaching engagement pathway where this is what you do in one, this is what you do in two, then there's sort of this process in the middle, and this is how you wrap it up. My container isn't that rigid, but, but seeing things like that made me aware of the fact that if I want to sell coaching, because the only way to be self-employed is to actually exchange money, <laughs> <laughs> if I want to sell coaching, I need to be able to tell the people who come to me, okay, if you come and coach with me for six months, we will go from point A to point B. And since I work with academics, point B is frequently a career milestone, like a tenure file or a promotion file to full, or perhaps it's a large grant or it's a big book, or it's um, an a move up into administrative appointment, right? There's some big thing there, or maybe it's a sabbatical coming up or retirement coming up. I've worked with people in all of those areas. It's like, okay, you have a goal and I have a method to move you from where you are now to that goal. 
And I can tell you in our discovery call a few of the highlights of that method so that you know that I have a container and I know that I have a container. And then I spend a fair amount of time thinking about what my actual and hopefully future clients are going to need. I, I, I lean into it more and not in sort of the Sheryl Sandberg sense of leaning in, but like I'm, I'm proactively figuring things out for my prospective clients so that when people show up, I'm like, aha, this is where you're at. Here's my container. Does that look like a container that can hold what you need? Instead of sort of lay, leaning back and saying, okay, bring me what you got and I shall coach you around it, right? Um, so it, it was an, an internal shift on my part, but it has a really, there's a business development focus to it. That's helpful because I do think people need to have some idea, like what we talk about coaching in the abstract is actually put into something that's like, it doesn't have to be linear, but it has to have a framework or an understanding or a process because some people could be like, well, what does that even mean? So you're explaining to them to see if they fit this model or this mode or this whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Jennifer related to what you just shared, what advice would you go back and give your, your younger coach self? Take yourself more seriously as a business person who knows things. It's interesting because, you know, coaching is my 2.5 career, right? If like leaving academia and working in sort of post-academia was 2.0, then coaching is like 2.5 or 3.0. It is interesting how imposter syndrome like follows you around and maybe you, you tackle it in one area. Um, but then when you reinvent yourself, imposter syndrome is just, it's just there waiting <laughs> for you to walk out on a limb and go, oh, I don't know, that limb might not hold you. You might be a total idiot. This might've been a really bad idea. You might not know what you're doing. And, and so being more aware of the fact that, yeah, you can read and listen and engage all you want, but like doing is the thing. (laughs) And maybe you should just trust yourself and take it more seriously. Spoke right to my heart. Laura knows that. Uh These these are all interventions for Julie. When we meet with people who say that, I'm like, "Mm -hmm. Julie, did you you write that down? Did you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do do you have a secret recipe to combat imposter syndrome? (laughs) No. No. It's more around Julie and I started the training at the same time. And there's different reasons why we are where we are in our journey. I just want to push Julia off the branch. She can fly. Yeah. But (laughs) nicely. I want to, I want to fly with her, her business development. You should probably do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best, that's the best face. (laughs) That's the answer to that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> is that the wrong answer? I don't know. Right you, should, you should do that. Right. It's the right answer. And thinking about like you ask a lot of questions, and I think it's so cool that you work with people who are in the middle of the, the great resignation to the co- future coaches of everywhere in the world. And you probably don't have one, but what are some of your go-to coaching questions you often ask? So this week, a question that I find myself asking a lot is. What story are you telling yourself about that? That's a good one. Yeah. And as a coach, in a coaching session, a question that I'm I'm making friends with a lot is, it's sort of two-sided and it maybe comes at two different points in the conversation. One is, okay, how can we best use our time, right? And that that was not my go-to as a coach. Like I really had to 
kind of grow in my own confidence to say like, we, we got 50 minutes here. What are we going to get done? Mm-hmm. And then as sort of a corollary to that, how can I help you with that next step? Which for me is a night, both of both sides of that question are really nice ways of acknowledging that we're in a relationship here and we each have roles, but the ultimate accountability is on the client. I can champion, I can push, I can call it like I see it, right? I can do all sorts of things, but they have to take ownership. And so this notion of like giving the work to the person who has to do the work, but giving it in a way that's like, you have a partner here. Right now, that's one of my favorite, my favorite things about coaching is that I have people in my practice right now who are doing really cool stuff. And so like, if we have a precious hour together, like, okay, what are you doing that we can, that we can advance or what's in your way that we can get around or over um, in this time? How can I help you move from point A to point B? And so I really like those sort of pre-accountability kinds of things in the moment. And then that, that transformational space of like, so what's the bullshit story you're currently telling yourself about whatever bullshit is happening? Because let's just acknowledge that that's some bullshit. I love that. Uh, the help one's good. It's like the lazy question. Like you're really asking them, how can I help you? But then they have to think, well, I got this. I could do it myself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a trick question. <laughs> it's, it's totally a trick question. And you said the lazy question, which is a quote from. Oh, it's the coaching habit. The coaching habit by Michael Bungie Stanley. It is favorite favorite book of mine. So definitely, I I like I should I should have that in a basket by my front door at Halloween. That's as that is about as often as I recommend it to people. Like, oh, your age here. Have the, have a copy of this. Book. <laughs> it is it is his book, and we've talked about it in the show, but we'll definitely put it back in the show notes. Anything rec- you recommend for us budding coaches to read, mm. center watch to help us keep our learning going? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I know that Katie has one or two or 12 or I don't know. I, lose track, right? I go through, I go through phases where I like intensively listen to things and sort of the, the intellectual in me really appreciates the coaches rising podcast where um, Joel, the, the podcast host has conversations with people who are, really experienced coaches who are in who've written books or created programs and and a lot of them are really sort of on the cutting edge of of coaching and research around coaching i really like that one well and here's an interesting thing so the life coach school by brooke castillo it's she's not icf certified and her school is not an icf certified training program and i i kind of get why like they do they talk about students as often as they talk about clients, right? So that that slightly more directive mode, I think, is is maybe where they might be a little bit more at home. And ICF really emphasizes the non-directive nature of coaching. That, and I appreciate that. And so I'm not life coach school trained. I, I very much believe in the ICF framework, but they their graduates have scads of podcasts. And they push me in interesting ways. Like even when I'm like, really, are we going to talk about money again? I'm like, well, girlfriend does need a new pair of shoes or, you know, to pay myself or not be a kept woman or whatever. So I appreciate being 
I appreciate taking the learning from things that are out there that might not even 100% overlap with where I'm at, but that give me insight into, oh, that's how those people work with their clients or, oh, that's what that modeled. Oh, interesting. And there's so much content there that that there's a lot to, to draw from. And one thing that I find, I read a book in the, in the early 90s called The Philosopher's Diet by a philosophy professor at the institution where I was getting my PhD. And it's a funny book for a philosopher to write because it's about losing weight and running. I don't know if it's in print anymore. Richard Watson, I think is the author's name. I can't quite remember. But basically the premise was, if you want to lose weight and keep weight off, you should run. And you should run 20 to 30 miles a week. And you should aim for running an eight minute mile. Now, we could go into an intersectionally feminist conversation about all of the things wrong with what I just said. And my knees would like to be a part of that conversation mm-hmm. because I attempted to follow that recipe for a very long time. And now I do not run <laughs> or jump <laughs> or do much of anything because of degenerative arthritis in my knees. But one of the things he said in that book is um, inspiration is hard to hold on to, motivation is hard to hold on to. And so surrounding yourself with things that keep you motivated and inspired is important. And I take that to heart when it comes to coaching. Like I I have a dog um, who has slept through this entire podcast because it is a gray and rainy day. Otherwise she would be singing to me um, the song of her houndy people. So we walk twice a day and I listen to podcasts and audiobooks and as somebody who has a PhD in literature, it's fascinating to watch myself sort of shift into, oh, so I'm going to listen to this whole thing on meditation because I see mindfulness as a really important tool in coaching. I see coaching as a mindfulness activity. And so immersing myself in that as I walk the dog twice a day keeps me in that mental space of being a coach and coaching and listening to podcasts by coaches does, does the same thing. Um, so I really value that. I would read and listen to anything Michael Bungay Stanier does. Um, Do More Great Work is another one of his books um, with, you know, a downloadable PDF workbook that I make use of with my clients all the time. Like you want to here, get this book. We'll do these worksheets together. Let me show you how to do them. They're amazing, right? To sort of figure out what's the impact you want to have in the world. Um, so I love all of his stuff. And um, I mean, everybody's reading Brene Brown, which is a good thing. You probably should. Yeah, and, we've talked about her a few times in the podcast. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You should, you should read Brene Brown. Absolutely. And I think you could just read The Gifts of Imperfection and get a lot out of it. Like, just, just keep it simple, right? We, we are all imperfect people. Can I gift you an audio uh, suggestion? So not a coach at all, but I really enjoy Esther Perel. She's a therapist. Uh, she's from Belgium. And she her podcast, Where Should We Begin, is therapy. But she has another version that's called How's Work and talking to working partnerships and relationships. So I, I will gift that and drop that for you to listen. Where to. should we begin? I, I listened to that. Oh, I listened to a whole scat of them once upon a time. Yeah. So she now has like a a work one too. So I think as we cross pollinate to different ideas. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mentioned the Neuroleadership Institute. They have a podcast called Your Brain at Work that, that, that I like. And they, they did really interesting stuff in COVID too, where they sort of ramped up what they were doing podcast-wise, brought in interesting people, lots of interviews and whatnot. Jennifer, it's been a delight to have you on and learn from you and learn with you. And I, we welcome you back anytime to the pod. So you're always welcome back as a guest to pick a topic and, and chat about, really. Thank you so much. This, as you can tell, like I absolutely adore talking about this sort of thing. And I love the fact that you guys are sort of coaching yourselves as coaches by talking to coaches and to each other about coaching. I think that that's... We're very meta. Great. It's a great way to do it. And it's a great way to do that thing where you sort of stay immersed in that headspace. Absolutely. In preparation for jumping off the branch. We're ready to fly. Be sure to listen to the next episode by subscribing to our podcast. We always welcome comments and questions. Send us an email at coachingthroughit at gmail.com. Until then, we'll be figuring it out on Coaching Through It.